Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news consistently before it becomes news. And of course, we also give you insight and analysis into all the subjects you're talking about in football. I mean, McGowan with me as always is the guru, Mr. Duncan Castles. And uh, today we have news uh, on Manchester United, on Spurs, as well as uh, some very, very interesting uh, news on Liverpool. Um, and of course, it being the second pod of the week, it is the Donkey Award. Duncan, speaking of the Donkey Award, we have uh, information, you have information, regarding Paul Pogba's future. It has been a very ongoing and long-running saga with regards to his future at Manchester United. He is out of contract a year in the summer. And um, his agent, Mina Raiola, who, as always, is, as Yapstam might call the Nevels, a bit busy. Uh, he has been... Um, effectively told that he needs to sort things out for Pogba, um, who of course scored a crucial goal against AC Milan in this week's Europa League tie. What can you reveal to us, Duncan, with regards to uh, the Raiola-Pogba relationship, but also um, Pogba's uh, preferred destination yeah, Pogba back for Manchester United um, in the Europa League game against Milan, scoring a few minutes after coming off the bench to replace uh, Marcus Rashford, who was struggling, struggling physically in that game and getting them through to uh, uh, what will be a relatively, or should be a relatively easy tie um, against Granada uh, in the quarterfinals of the Europa League, which will hopefully end the, uh, the Luke Shaw and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer complaints about how they never get um, a fair crack of the whip in, in cup ties um, and showing I think his importance to that team um, I think it made a great deal of difference to the way they played because you suddenly had another player in the midfield with creativity and the ability to do something different and the ability to execute the goal in the, in the you know the way the fashion he did it's really becoming an interesting situation this this Information I have about Mino Raiola adds another dimension to um, the whole story in that we know Pogba would like to go elsewhere and that Raiola has been pushing to get him a move elsewhere. We know that he wants to go to Real Madrid and that Zinedine Zidane has been trying to sign him, but Florentino Perez has, has always resisted that move. Um, there is a very difficult relationship between Florentino Perez and Mino Raiola. Uh, Perez has told friends he doesn't want to do business with him. What I'm told from a number of sources is that there's also now a difficult relationship between Mino Raiola and Paul Pogba. Uh, and Pogba has been frustrated with Raiola's handling of him and his failure to get him out of Manchester United and get him that move. Um, he's been looking for some, some time now. Now that, although they're still working with each other, in turn puts pressure on Mino Raiola to get a move this summer. And I think once you have that bit of information, you can go back and look at what Raiola said in December in an interview with Tuto Sport, um, causing 
a lot of controversy by saying, I can say that it's over for Paul Pogba at Manchester United. Paul is unhappy with Man United and he is no longer able to express himself in the way that he would like and as he is expected to do. Paul needs a new team, a change of air. He's under contract for the next 18 months and it will expire in the summer of 2022. However, I think that the best solution for both Pogba and Man United is that he goes in the next transfer window. If not, the Old Trafford club know that they risk losing him on a free transfer as it is not Paul's intention to extend his contract. Now, he didn't get him out in the next transfer window, obviously. Nothing happened in January. Um, Therefore, this really is the last chance to move him um, while still under contract at Manchester United for a transfer fee. Um, This obviously is important in terms of what happens to Manchester United's midfield. But also, it has an extra dimension to it in terms of what happens with Erling Haaland, I am told. Um, Haaland also, Amino Raiola client. Um, Haaland far in far greater demand than Paul Pogba with, um, kind of in a position that Pogba was in a few years ago with most of the big clubs in Europe examining uh, the possibility and the and the financial terms required to to sign him um, Manchester United being one of them of course Chelsea being another uh, Real Madrid also um, in that list of suitors what I'm told is that Raiola is putting a lot of effort into moving Haaland to Real Madrid um, because he believes that by securing a deal for Haaland to Madrid getting Florentino Perez to work with him on that transaction, he can simultaneously facilitate a move for Pogba to Real Madrid. So in his own personal interest of retaining one of his uh, valuable clients, um, he will and has been trying to push Haaland um, towards Madrid to make both of those deals happen uh, and keep Pogba on his books um, beyond this summer's transfer window. In terms of Manchester United, Duncan, the fact that they would stand to lose a substantial amount of money should Pogba run his contract down till next summer, what are the chances that they would sell this summer? Because at the moment, they don't really have a replacement for a fit and inform Pogba uh, in the ranks right now. Obviously, Bruno Fernandes is become the mainstay of the midfield but Pogba probably becomes well is the second best midfielder right now at Man United when he's fit Um, seems to me that they might lose more than the value well as a pair those two work together from a creative perspective for Manchester United we've seen that this season when the two are in the team um, they're able to conjure up goals in situations where the team is struggling. Um, they've, they've managed to turn around several games that United um, looked like they were going to drop points in. Um, there is obviously the weakness involved in, in Pogba from a defensive perspective, but it, it's been interesting the way that Solskjaer's tried to deal with it by using him in more of a kind of left wing position. So he came off, off the bench to replace Rashford. Um, and you then still have in this particular um, instance and, and quite often when when 
Solskjaer setting the team up, Fred and Scott McTominay operating in what Solskjaer himself refers to as a back six, um, which gives you a sense of of the the sort of defensive duties that that Fred and McTominay have um, to to cover and 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 allow space for those creative players to operate. Now, you say there's not an obvious replacement. I would argue that they signed the replacement last summer. It's just that Solskjaer's barely used them. They have Donny van de Beek there, a player, ironically, who would have gone to Real Madrid if it wasn't for COVID and who, whose preference had been to go to Real Madrid. And Real Madrid had deals in place, but which they weren't able to complete. So they have uh, a solution in their ranks, assuming that Solskjaer can come to terms with Van de Beek and be happy putting him in the side as a regular choice, which is something that hasn't happened this season. Um, Incidentally on that, uh, the information I have about Van de Beek's position is that it is not as strong um, in terms of wanting to leave the club as has been reported over the past week. Uh, Guidance I have from sources uh, close to him is that that story was driven by the agent um, who wanted the information out that Van de Beek was unhappy and was seeking a move away. But Van de Beek is quite a strong uh, character. While he is frustrated with what's going on, he is prepared to battle his way through it and, and, and establish and prove his worth in the Manchester United team. And obviously, knowing the situation with Pogba, is there's kind of a window for him there where he can see that that, that other creative midfielder is wants out of the team and, and may move in the summer. You also have, as we reported in the last podcast, United looking in this window for another midfielder, um, a, a number six stroke number eight, so someone who can play just in front of the defence or play as a box-to-box uh, midfielder to complement Bruno Fernandes. So, so they have plans in place to add to their midfield and they have a very strong cohort of midfielders at present. Um, they don't like losing money on transfer deals. Um, so you would say that that would be an incentive if Pogba himself says, I'm going to go, rather than Mino Raiola saying it, I am going to leave for a free in a year's time if you don't let me go this summer. That would be an incentive to take a transfer fee if someone can set that fee up. I mean, this is still, this, we're talking about what Pogba would like to do, which is go to Real Madrid, what Zinedine Zidane would like if he remains as manager, the problem of Florentino Perez and therefore Mino Raiola trying to manufacture that deal um, and manufacture a deal for Erling Haaland to Madrid uh, to try and keep control of, of two of his key players and make money from both deals this summer. Well, there's a number eight they're looking for, Duncan. I hear Frank Lampard's available, uh, having played for Manchester City uh, at 42. Maybe he could do a job for United. You never know. Interesting to note that uh, two of Mino's clients, Zlatan Ibrahimovic and uh, Pogba, exchanged shirts after their Europa League tie uh, in the San Siro this week. That uh, was that I, was after Aaron Wan-Bissaka tried to exchange shirts with uh, Ibrahimovic in the in the last minute of the game and uh, and a penalty <laughs> wasn't given for it, yes. 
He's <laughs> trying to give a penalty in exchange for his shirt. Um, but uh, in terms of the result, it's another appearance um, in a quarterfinal for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, a man who seems to be a specialist in quarterfinals uh, during his time at Manchester United. Yeah, there was a statistic put out uh, quite soon after that victory over Milan that he'd taken Manchester United to the quarterfinal of every knockout competition he had managed them in, um, which seemed to forget the fact that they were knocked out of the Champions League just a couple of months ago, um, which I always thought of as a, a knockout competition. But yes, um, reaches another quarterfinal. Um, I think... I think you look at that game and you have to say that, that there was a similarity to Chelsea um, going through against Atletico Madrid and, and the talk of how, how well Chelsea played in the game when you have Cesar Azpilicueta um, escaping a red card and a clear penalty at 0-0 early on in the game because the referee and the VAR weren't prepared to intervene. The Milan match, you go back to the first leg where um, Milan score one of the goals of of the season in some ways in the Europa League, um, which VAR intervenes to to chop off um, for a, a mystery handball, and uh, that changes the dimension of the 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 tie. But they're they're through again. Um, in a, a week in which Solskjaer talked uh, about uh, the progress at Manchester United again. Um, said that it wasn't necessarily important to win trophies um, to measure that progress, said it should be measured on performances in the league and and highlighted that there, as he said, we're 12 points ahead of where we were in the league this time last season um, and that being a measure of the, the progress that had been achieved under him uh, ignored the fact that they are uh, they would have to win eight of their last nine Premier League fixtures to match the 81-point total of the, the team he inherited um, as manager. So it's a it's kind of short-term definition of progress. But what I've, I think was interesting is to hear a Manchester United manager um, kind of dismiss, to a certain extent, the importance of winning trophies. In fact, he said uh, at one point in that press conference that... Um, Sometimes a cup competition can hide the fact that you're struggling a little bit and it's not like a trophy will say that we're back. It's the gradual progression and the consistency of being top of the league in and around there and then the odd trophy. Um, again, he certainly hasn't consistently been top of the league. Um, and, and interesting that you have a Manchester United manager downplaying the importance of trophies um, and a Manchester United manager who, who goes into a season uh, targeting third place and saying anything above third place would be a, a, a substantial achievement might have something to do with the fact that Solskjaer last won a trophy in 2013, um, the Norwegian Football Cup. Um, since then, he has had 21 attempts at three different clubs, Molde, Cardiff City and Manchester United, uh, without getting his hands on silverware. So um, probably suits him to downplay the importance of of, of, uh, of winning silverware. With all due respect to Solskjaer, Duncan, um, that sounds like total BS. 
<laughs> you, you're not judged by winning trophies as a football manager because it, at other clubs, maybe Molda and maybe even Cardiff City, that would be the case. But at Manchester United, that's exactly how you're judged. I mean, it's nonsense to suggest that not winning trophies and your league status, etc., etc., is somehow a mark of progress and success. Yeah, and look, Molda were one of the best finance clubs in Norway when he was manager, so I think uh, trophies, silverware was important there. Um, Cardiff City, you're including a period in the championship, the season he was sacked at Cardiff City manager, he had them um, down close to the relegation zone when he was dismissed, so I think they would have had placed an importance on silverware in their division. And yeah, Manchester United, um, look... I think it's fair to say the majority of Manchester United fans think silverware is important and expect to be winning trophies and don't like the fact that they're on the, the longest um, trophy drought um, for, I think, three decades uh, at the club at present. Sir Alex Ferguson was the last man uh, to win the league at Manchester United and he's also the one who postponed his retirement for a year when Manchester City won the league in 2012 and decided that um, he would have to uh, stay on in order to make sure that that lot uh, over the road, um, as he said to his wife, Cathy, um, were not the champions when he left Old Trafford. One man who did win trophies at Manchester United, in fact, the last one was Jose Mourinho. Uh, unfortunately for him, uh, Spurs crashed out of the Europa League this week uh, with a surprise uh, 3-0 defeat um, in which uh, they played very poorly. They were very severely criticised by numerous people um, in the media and also by Mourinho himself, uh, who said that uh, the attitude was all wrong, Duncan, uh, with regards to um, how they approached the game and how they played, and their lacked respect for their jobs and for what they hope to achieve. Very strong words from Mourinho. Um, but what does this now mean for the manager with regards to his future, because clearly it's not going as well as it was earlier in the season, or indeed as well as it was expected to go. Yeah, we reported um, a few weeks ago now that Julian Nagelsmann had uh, been offered to Tottenham as a replacement for Mourinho. And Nagelsmann is obviously a coach who was on a short list to replace Pochettino um, when Mourinho got the job. So you have uh, coaches who are of interest to the club um, on the market and available to to come in um, at the end of this season. Um, I think Mourinho is aware that uh, and was aware going into that match against Dinamo Zagreb in the Europa League that success was expected from him. Um, he was hired to turn around the long trophy drought that 
Tottenham have experienced. In fact, the, the plan was to invest in the team um, and to turn them into Premier League winners, not just to, to win what's you know, a, a secondary cup. So they are in the League Cup final. He has the opportunity to, to end the 13-year trophy drought there. But um, the initial plan was turn them into com- uh, proper competitors for the for the Premier League and, and create a team worthy of the the stadium and the training ground uh, that they're they're based at. Now COVID changed the 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 strategy and the implementation. So the budget was not there this summer um, to bring in the kind of players that that he and Levy had planned to bring in um, to make them competitors for the league. Uh, we've said before that uh, although uh, the the names of some of the players brought in um, gave a perspective of Tottenham had gone heavily um, into the summer market. They actually were signing Sergio Reguilon on a two, effectively a two-year loan, which allows Real Madrid to buy him back um, at, at a limited price in, in two years' time, should he do well. Gareth Bale on loan, Carlos Vinicius on loan. Um, then you have a uh, small transfer fee, relatively small transfer fee for P- Pierre-Emil Hoiberg, um, 20 million on Matt Doherty, which hasn't worked. They were actually outspent um, in terms of gross spend in the summer by Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United, Chelsea, Arsenal, Aston Villa, Leeds United and Wolves. Um, so the, the plan hasn't been implemented, but the outcome has been worse than Mourinho and Levy expected. And um, they've got themselves into a situation where you see Mourinho, as you say, coming after it, coming out after a game where they were 2-0 up from the first leg against a team whose um, whose manager um, had been imprisoned uh, during the, the break between the games um, and, and losing uh, 3-0 and exiting their their probably their best opportunity to qualify for the for the Champions League next season. And then you have Mourinho um, talking in the way he did and and criticising the attitude of the team, um, criticising their ability to implement his instructions. He, he was very explicit that he'd warned them that this was not going to be an easy game, um, that he wanted them to score early. And you even have Mourinho apologising to the supporters um, for the performance, which is something I've very rarely heard, if at all, from Mourinho um, post-match apologising for, for his team's performance in, in a game. Um, look, he, he has placed himself, I think, in a difficult position because of the ty- kind of football he chose to uh, adopt partway through this season. Um, we've talked in the podcast about how he has been unhappy with the defenders available to him and uh, feels he doesn't have enough pace uh, at the back to play with a high line. Um, securely against better opponents. He switched to um, playing with a deep block and using the, the pace of his team on the counter-attack successfully um, in the early part of the season, went top of the league and then had a number of games where it failed to work for him. Um, ahead of the Arsenal match last weekend, he'd switched tactics again, um, was playing four forwards, 
pressing high and scoring goals and getting results. And I, and I think personally made a mistake by changing for the Arsenal game to uh, the strategy that had worked against Arsenal earlier in the season and, and playing cautiously um, and ending up losing a match where they were a goal up. Uh, albeit it was a very bad refereeing decision, but um, I know that went down badly in the camp that the, the, the strategy had been changed after the training and the uh, the success in the more aggressive way of playing for several matches. Um, so that has added pressure to him. Um, and I think contrary to what has been reported that there's no break clause in his contract, I'm told there is a break clause in the contract. So the cost to dismiss him should leave you go down that route in the summer is less than the full um, remaining value on his contract. Um, I think more importantly for Tottenham um, is the decision that has to be made on what they do, whether they choose just to change coach or whether they decide that actually the, the squad needs uh, an overhaul and needs some significant changes to achieve what uh, Levy had targeted when Mourinho came into the club. I, I think it's interesting to go back and look at what Maurizio Pochettino said before, just before the Champions League final that he got Tottenham to in his, his final full season at the club. And um, he had been involved in a dispute with Levy over transfers for over a year at that point and had been trying to change the squad, feeling that, that they were not responding to his methods in, in the way they had done. And, and that it needed an overhaul. And, and here he was um, talking to Gary Lineker in an interview and um, just ahead of the biggest game of, of Tottenham's history and, and again saying they needed substantial changes and, and talking about the quality of the stadium and then saying you have an amazing house but you need to put, the, put in the furniture. If you want to have a lovely house, maybe you need better furniture. Now it's about to to create another chapter and to have a clear idea about how we're going to build that new project for Tottenham. Um, if you don't take Pochettino's word for it, if you don't take Mourinho's word for the issues of some individuals in the squad, I think you should go and listen to what Hugo Lloris said after the Dino Mozagrab game and give a uh, you know eight minute interview in which he was very, very forthright about what he talked about uh, as being a disgraceful um, performance and backed up several of the things that Mourinho had said about the team not following instructions, but also, without naming individuals, um, called out several of his teammates uh, as not doing their job professionally. This is how he finished the interview. He said, I think we all belong to the team. Football is not about individual players. It's not because there are two, three, four players who are going to step up. It's not enough. We need more than that. That's something that we must understand. On the bench, there is an influence to have to push the others. In training sessions, the same. Everyone has to be ready to push and to make sure that he is ready to help the team when the moment will come. It's not only to stay on your side and complain. Because in the end, what we have to respect is this. It's the badge. This is the most important thing. It's over all the players in the place and we have to respect the badge. So he, he's very explicitly saying there that there are individuals in the Tottenham squad who do not carry their weight by uh, keeping themselves 
fit, working hard in training sessions, pushing the other players and being ready, being at the top level of fitness and preparation to come into the team when they have an opportunity to play. And that's, you know, that's from a captain, that's from someone who's been part of the, the Pochettino years of success central to them and, and talking about how he doesn't have the same faith in the team that he had um, earlier in his period at Tottenham. So there, I think there's a message there coming from the playing side and also from the manager at present who you can say will has to defend himself and has to come up with excuses for the results he've achieved. But there's a message there to the Tottenham hierarchy that it probably takes more than just another change of manager to solve um, the problems that the club has in terms of results, which are now quite long-standing. There is an argument, though, Duncan, that that is the head coach's job, which is to marshal his squad and ensure that they are providing the effort and also the drive um, to achieve results in games and... If that's not happening, then he has to take responsibility as much as they do. Now, we both know from working in football for such a long time that you can't depend on footballers uh, to do that on a daily basis. But when it comes to games like uh, they had in Zagreb, that um, it's expected, if not even essential, that they produce a performance uh, which at least, you know, uh, is not, as Larice described it, disgraceful. Absolutely. I mean, it is the responsibility of the manager and the, and the, the, the standard route is to change the manager and, uh, and see if he can produce better performances from the squad. I think the problem is they've done that already. They, they've used two top managers um, in charge of the squad and had a sustained period of underperformance in terms relative to where Tottenham had been. We, we, I think we forget that the season they reached the Champions League final was one in which they struggled domestically. Uh, one, it was kind of a tournament of miracles in, in the way that they, they got through to the final, um, particularly the last game against Ajax, but all through it they were on the verge of going out. So there is a, there's a more there's a problem that goes beyond the coach. Um, there is a question mark over whether Mourinho is capable of dealing with the kind of status of players that, that Tottenham have at present. And he has a history of falling out with uh, big name individuals. And, and uh, that happened at, at Manchester United. It is happening um, to an extent at Tottenham. Um but then you have a question, does does another coach, uh, is he the answer to that? Does he solve all of it um, just by changing the name of the manager? Then I think you need to examine the players they have. And, and I think Mourinho's argument that the defence is an issue, it's pretty easy to see that as accurate from watching the players. Um, you have Davinson Sanchez, who uh, would be the most expensive in terms of uh, transfer fees, paid for the defenders and was brought at a young age and expected to be a, a centre point of the defence. And, and Sanchez is error prone. Um, I don't think you'd need to be very um, 
uh, knowledgeable about football to watch Davinson Sanchez uh, for a few games and see that positionally um, he makes mistakes. Um, Toby Alderweireld is slow. He's still a an intelligent and committed defender, but he does not have the pace um, to allow you to play a high line. Um, Matt Doherty was signed to play in a, a system as a wing back and, and ended up being moved back to a traditional full back because of the acquisition of Regulon um, and is struggling to adapt with it. So uh, an error was made in that signing, which you can argue was kind of forced on the team because Levy went and did the double deal for Bale and Regulon. That was a Levy-driven move. That was not Mourinho instigating it. Um, you have a lot of great attacking players, but you also have Harry Kane, who is their best player and most important player, who you look at the track record over the last few seasons and, and is pretty much guaranteed to be injured or um, not fully fit for a chunk of each season. Um, and it's an issue that uh, that successive Tottenham managers have, have struggled to deal with. So th- it does need investment. It does need change to put them on the level where um, Levy went into this process wanting them to be, which is competitive for the Premier League. Question is, who do they decide to go with? Uh, if I'm Julian Nagelsmann, and uh, and I find out that Tottenham are prepared to hire me and I'm number one choice, I would be pushing very hard for a substantial budget and authority to change um, at least two or three of the players to give myself the best chance to succeed with the team when I leave the Bundesliga for the first time. Well, rightly or wrongly, football traditionally and almost by the majority is a slave to the um, notion that uh, the needs of the many are greater than the needs of the few, and the few being managers <laughs> in this sense. And of course, it's much, well, sometimes it's more cheap uh, and more economical to get rid of the head coach than it is obviously to uh, get rid of players and a very expensive squad, uh, even more so in these financially difficult times. Uh, I don't really see where Spurs go after Mourinho, to be honest, Duncan. I'm not looking, you you mentioned Nagelsmann, obviously, and he is a very talented coach, but I'm looking out there and thinking, there's not an awful lot of um, options that necessarily are better. Um, But there are a lot of Spurs fans, in, including on our transfer podcast timeline uh, uh, on Twitter and on our social media channels, saying it's time for him to leave because he's not produced success. He's not improved the team. He's not getting on with the squad. It's clear the players are, some players anyway, are unhappy with the method and therefore it needs to be changed. I think there there are there are options available. You have Max Allegri out to work. If you could convince Allegri, it's the it's the right job to take. And you know we've repeatedly reported on this podcast that Allegri 
has been positioning himself for a club where he thinks he can win the Champions League and he's turned down some some offers to come to England in the past where he didn't think the the club was in the right conditions to achieve what he wanted to achieve. Now, he's been out of work for over a year and he's started looking at other options and Roma, he's looked at, uh, declined to take it during the season, but he might take that in the, in the summer if something else doesn't come up. Um, you know, he, he's been approached by clubs like Leeds United, as we, uh, as we talked about on, on Tuesday's podcast. So you, you have Allegri there. Um, you have Nagelsmann, who I think is a risky, um, appointment, um, but shows a lot of talent and uh, certainly seems to, one of his strengths seems to be the communication with players um, and the ability to get into their heads and, and motivate them. So, you know, if you're, if you want to go down that route of go for the relatively cheap option of just changing the coach, then there'd be a, a, a an argument, a strong argument for going for Nagelsmann. Brendan Rogers is someone that Again, Levy has been interested in for a long time. You would know better than me whether Rodgers could be convinced to leave Leicester City for Tottenham Hotspur at, at this point in time, whether he would think that was a better bet um, in terms of achieving his long-term ambitions in the game, which are sky high, um, than remaining at, at Leicester for the time being. You, you, can, al- you can always find a, another manager and sometimes just the, the act of changing uh, and, and changing the atmosphere in the in the dressing room and changing the working methods gets uh, a short-term switch in results, as it did when Mourinho came in from Pochettino and there was a you know a radical uptick in performance before Harry Kane got injured last season. Ultimately, Tottenham need more than just a, a short-term change in performance if they want to achieve those goals of winning trophies and being in the Champions League and being competitive at the top of the Premier League. It has to be more than three, four months of of, of a difference because the players are happy that the, the, the coach has changed. And I don't think the squad is good enough at present. Um, and the last, well, the current manager and the previous manager also didn't think the squad was good enough. So there's probably a point at which the decision has to be taken <clears throat> to change players um, as well as change manager or um, r- go with the same manager and change players as he requests rather than going for um, players who are available in the market and who the chairman wanted to sign um, because of their status, which is what happened last summer in part. Much, I'm sure, will depend on uh, how Spurs finish the season with regards to Mourinho's future and also uh, that of certain players in the squad. Many people in uh, the media are questioning Harry Kane's future with regards to a player who needs to play Champions League football and fulfil his potential. Liverpool and Arsenal are two teams who are chasing Odson Eduard of Celtic, Duncan, uh, a player who we've mentioned a few times on the podcast, uh, mostly with regards to Arsenal's interest. What's, I think, particularly interesting about the fact that Liverpool have entered into the equation is that they've done so on the basis that they expect, or at least 
suspect that um, one of the front three of Mo Salah, Roberto Firmino or Sadio Mane may well leave in the summer window. And that Eduard, uh, who's a different kind of player to all three, um, given that he plays as a number nine exclusively and can score goals. And of course, they do have Diego Jota in that position as well. But it's someone who could fulfill uh, a role um, either in the centre or along uh, the front three attacking positions uh, and is available, as we've reported, for around 25 million uh, euros uh, and is uh, an option for them with regards to a replacement for uh, one or other of those players. If you were, and I know you're not a betting man, uh, would who would you say... Uh, is most likely to leave in the summer uh, should Liverpool decide to sell one of their front three players? Look, Liverpool have had a strategy of selling um, top-line players for high transfer fees when they get better offers elsewhere and reinvesting that money in, in other areas of the team. And it has been part of their planning to expect either or both of Mo Salah and Sadio Mane to leave the club um, as they are get close to their 30s, probably to go to Spanish football uh, for a bigger contract for a substantial transfer fee. That has been undermined by COVID. Um, so it's harder to see them getting the kind of money, 100 million euro plus. I mean, we're, we're talking that the expected transfer fee for Mo Salah at one point got to about 200 million euros. It's hard to see them getting that money in this market. Um, but... Um, the, the the strategy, the expectation and the drive from those players to have a, a better contract and to, to play in a different league remains. Um, so I, it doesn't surprise me at all that Liverpool are doing the preparatory work. Um, transfer business has been very important to their uh, success in winning the Champions League and the Premier League in case a deal emerges for particularly Sadio Mane or Mo Salah uh, and potentially for Roberto Firmino. And Firmino, I think his situation has changed because the drop-off in performance for Firmino is such that I think Liverpool would be thinking of replacing him anyway, um, but would struggle to get the kind of transfer fee that they'd hoped to get um, a year ago. If you ask me which one I, I would bet on most likely being to leave first, I would say Salah would be the one because he has been most clearly agitating um, for that move, doing the sort of preparatory interviews and in Spain and talking about his desire to play in that league. There, you know, th these things don't happen coincidentally. Full stops in Twitter from his agent as well. They're interesting. Yeah, look, the agent also has a lot invested in in the next transfer and the, the next contract for Mohamed Salah. So um, you, you're looking at a situation where the club had a strategy in place that they didn't expect him to end his career at Liverpool and um, a way of making money from the, his move on and a, a, a strategy to reinvest and improve the team once he leaves the club. So uh, the, the pathway's set out. It's just got 
it's just got messier because COVID has has reduced the the amount of cash available in the in the European transfer market for these kind of deals. Although maybe a factor we we should we should pay attention to is what's happening with UEFA and the Champions League and this radical change of uh, the Champions League structure uh, and moves to allow clubs more control over the broadcasting contract, um, more control over commercial revenue raised by the Champions League as a competition. You know, these are all designed to give the biggest clubs in European football security and more revenue. Um, and as they feel that they are getting close to securing that from UEFA, then I think you'll see some of that money being spent um, in advance by the clubs to try and regain competitive advantage. And uh, competitive advantage is what Manchester United are trying to achieve in terms of their shirt sponsorship, Duncan. Um, however, it doesn't seem to have gone the way that they would necessarily have wanted with regards to um, increasing their revenue uh, over a deal which will replace the one they have with Chevrolet. Yeah, they've announced the, the new sponsor, a German software company today. They're briefing that the deal is worth 55 million euros a year um, for five years and that it's the biggest shirt-only sponsorship in the Premier League. So not the biggest in European football um, as Chevrolet was when um, it was signed some time ago. Well, Chevrolet famously, um, I think mistakenly, large deal with the executive involved in uh, in signing it off to Manchester United, leaving the company not long afterwards. But that deal was um, for $70 million a year, rising by 2.1% per season for seven seasons. So what you're looking at there. Uh, is a drop in shirt sponsorship revenue from Manchester United. It wasn't that long ago we were seeing reports that they were they were um, hopeful of securing a new sponsor uh, for a figure of £70 million a season. So they're obviously substantially down on that number. Um, they make a lot of sponsorship money from other sources. That has been Ed Woodward's great success at Manchester United is uh, building this commercial model where they... they sign you know tens of sponsors in different countries for different areas um, for the training ground for um, short sleeve sponsors um, also specific sponsors for whiskey and oil and and whatever and in certain geographical areas in, in 2019-20 their revenue from sponsorship was 182.7 million um, it'll be interesting to see for the 21-22 season, um, how much their total sponsorship income is and whether it's gone down on that pre-COVID period. Also interesting to see if they have to pay any money back to Chevrolet because they announced an extension with Chevrolet in the last um, full financial results till December 2021, um, partly linked to games not being played because of COVID and the money being paid um, at a set amount, this new sponsorship um, with the German company is due to start in the summer of uh, 21. Therefore, um, you would assume 
that there's money to go back to Chevrolet to make space for their new sponsors. We shall find out if that is the case, but certainly it will be an interesting one. Obviously, as you all know, um, we take um, a lot of interest and care in reporting the financial aspects of your clubs. We also have a little bit of playfulness because Friday is Dunkey Day, the Duncan Castles Award, the Dunkey, as it's known. Um, this uh, week is dedicated to the fact that Cristiano Ronaldo scored his 57th 5-7 hat-trick career in his career uh, in the Champions League game for Juventus this week. And so we are dedicating this week's donkey to Cristiano and we'll give it the name of the Outrageous Achievement Award. And Duncan, I'm going to just open the golden envelope. As you know, sometimes we're a bit short on golden envelopes, but I received a new delivery this week. So um, we're going to be okay at least for a month. Uh, and our nominations are Leicester City for their incredible Premier League triumph. Uh, our old favourite and friend, Sergio Ramos, who has put himself into uh, the mix because of his competing against himself with regards to Champions League goals and sendings off. And also, and you'll all understand why this one comes in, is Dundee United's perfect record against Barcelona uh, a record which is not matched anywhere by any other club in European football. Duncan, um, I've got no idea who you're going to actually say is going to win here, he said sarcastically. Uh, so I will leave it to you to justify and explain why you think Dundee United are going to win this award. <laughs> Well, look, outrageous achievement is right. And we're talking about a time in which Cristiano Ronaldo went past Pele's um, lifetime total goal scored and actually waited before talking about it until uh, some of the, the more controversial ones, whether they were actually uh, uh, counted as full professional goals or not, had were included in Pele's total and beaten by Cristiano, who is um, not anywhere near stopping yet as far as I understand um, and you know looking for a, a new place to score goals next season um, Sergio Ramos I think 15 Champions League goals he's now scored which is more than individuals like uh, Zinedine Zidane and uh, and the Brazilian Ronaldo so yeah that is a an outrageous achievement um, Leicester City winning the Premier League um, outrageous for the rest of the clubs in the Premier League to allow Leicester City to win and be, no, be no, caught allow. by Come surprise, on. Come caught on. by allow. surprise. <laughs> allow, yeah, and I think that that is essentially what happened because teams didn't take Not Leicester City... scoring on goals against themselves. No, they didn't take <laughs> Leicester City seriously until probably the last quarter of the season and Leicester City had a very defined way of playing 
Um, deep defence, fast counter-attack, good players um, providing balls to Jamie Vardy. But the arrogance of the bigger teams in the Premier League was that they thought they could play them their way rather than um, set up to counter um, Leicester City. And they ended up um, handing that title over. I mean, that's famously the season where Maurizio Pochettino should have won the Premier League with Tottenham and the, and the, the points total that won Battle the title. Of the bridge. Yeah, the points total that won the title, I think, is the lowest we've had for some substantial time. I'd say Dundee United, but obviously it's not an outrageous achievement that United have that perfect um, four matches against um, Barcelona in European club competition and won all of them because they had uh, Jim McLean in charge and and they are Dundee United. So I'm going to default back to Leicester City as the uh, oh, as the outrageous achievement. Very disappointing for the Arabs. <laughs> we know our true majesty. We don't need uh, this kind of silverware to... <laughs> All right, fantastically um, unpredictable from Dr. Duncan Castles there with regards to this week's donkey. Um, we hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. Uh, please uh, give us a five-star review on iTunes. And also, if you're listening via YouTube, turn on your all notifications and you'll be first to learn when the next podcast drops. Uh, please get in touch with us. You know, we love to engage with you on our social media channels, which is at Transfer Podcast on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Duncan and I obviously always uh, engage with you personally on our Twitter feeds. Duncan's at Duncan Castles. I'm at Garbo SJ. We very much enjoyed being with you this week and we'll be back with you, of course, next week. And until then, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening. Yeah.